I'm expecting all the things to be said inside this interview just because Devil's Advocate I actually finally have in a captive audience type <laughs> the deal. Devil's Advocate. <laughs> See, I know you guys miss it sometimes. I know. This is Do You See Us, a podcast highlighting the authentic voices of creatives. I'm Esquire Johnson. Salutations, beautiful people. Welcome to another episode of Do You See Us? I suggest you find a comfortable seat for this episode because I guarantee you the raw insights and reflections you're about to hear from this next guest will stick with you for a good while. A lot of us have had that fish out of water experience, the moment in our lives where we felt we didn't belong. This beautiful human not only found her way into successful waters, but to her surprise, She's acquired a queen-sized boat and megaphone to guide people into those same waters. She is a dancer, teacher, choreographer, the founder of the dance collective Zara Moves, and podcast host of Dance Immersion's Community Corner Conversations Live. It's my pleasure to bring you episode four of Do You See Us featuring Zara Badua. I'm still trying to figure out as far as why, why you insist on going with that route every single time. It's like, I, I have a question. Um, you yeah, know just... what? I think, I think for me, the thing is, it's like, I like to see whether I agree with it or not. I like to look at both sides. Like, I like to look at the yin and the yang of it. Um, and then also I'd like to see people like react to foolishness. Right. Because I think it's like it's kind of boring if you have people who only see like if you're only seeing blue, it gets boring. So we want to see even if we don't agree with it, just see red for a moment and then come back. And then sometimes it's really just to annoy all of you, to be honest. But uh, but for the most part, when I started, that's really what it was. (laughs) So outside of our little circle, is this something that is just like a regular thing that you do even like professionally, too? Is that something in which like you're in the middle of like choreographing like your like your mentees and stuff like that and the same type of vibe is actually happening um like how does that actually work outside of it or is this like privileged space that we usually have as far as the devil um, advocate the vibe? sentence is for you guys like the devil's advocate is for you guys because every time i say that like those two words everybody go Ugh. so that sentence for you guys but the i have a question i do it everywhere like I do it, I but I I think one of the things how it started, like all jokes aside, I've been doing it since I was young, mm-hmm. um, because my father always used to say, never take an answer for an answer. Okay, always question it until you can't know more, right? Mm. So you know when kids turn about like five and they're like, why, why, why? My mom says I never grew out of that stage. <laughs> so to the point where sometimes something happened and literally like my sister and my mom be like, no, well, no, don't ask a question. It's fine. It is what it is. And I'm like, but no. <laughs> 
But sometimes it's a good place to be because not everybody actually has the willingness or the confidence to ask the questions that you would ask in those spaces. Yeah. But in a professional world, like when I was doing nine to five, they used to get me in trouble because people see it as like sarcasm or challenging. Right. Sometimes it is. Because I really wanted to understand why nobody can see common sense to the thing. Um, but sometimes it's just like I really doesn't like it doesn't make sense. And if things don't make sense to me, we're going to keep at this until they make sense. But unfortunately, like if you have like a supervisor who's like not humble or who knows the stuff that they're doing is like crappity crap, but wants everybody to eat it. And then you have me in the room. Yeah, you you'll be I mean? the one constantly. I'm like, I have a question. I have a question. Is always like, even like when I used to work. So I used to work for like an emergency response center. Like, you ever seen the commercial where the lady falls and she presses the button? I fall and I can't get up. Yeah, medical. Okay, the alert. people who pick up the call. I used to do that. Right? Okay. And um, you know, eventually you move up in life, whatever. So I was the, the team leader, and they used to come up with these like random things to the point where you forget that you're working with senior citizens. Like you think it's a corporate company. Because, like, the, the supervisor, well, the manager that they hired, she came from Ford. So she has, like, this, like, corporate mind okay. in this business. So she used to say something like that, and I'd be like, so can I ask you a question? Yo, she used to get so upset. It got to a point where she was, like, gunning for me. Like, she was trying everything to get me fired. For real. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, like, but I'm not, like, at some point when I knew she didn't like me, then I was just challenging her for fun. Mm -hmm. But in the beginning, I was like, no, but this doesn't make sense, though. You know what I mean? So I was like, but I have a question though. So how do you, and she's, yeah, she did not like me. <laughs> I thought it was hilarious, but she didn't like me at all. <laughs> so it's, it's something to be said about that confidence that it's just like, I'm just going to say what I'm going to say until it makes sense to me. Yeah. And then once that happens, then we can move on to the next. But yeah. I'm going to stay here. I'm going to be with the needle. I'm going to be poking you until I'm able to understand this. Yeah. Well, because also it's like if it's your job or if it's life, if I don't understand it, I don't know how I'm going to be able to do the job. Or if I don't understand it, I'm going to be able to go through the motions of life or whatever the case may be. So till I understand, I don't know where we're going. So we have two options. Either you answer me or you ignore me. You can ignore me, but I'm just going to twist the question and ask it either later or ask it a different section. But either way, some way, somehow I'm getting an answer, positive or negative. You're going to have to give me something. Okay, so I'm going to pose this question to you then. How have you found that type of approach in terms of seeking information guiding you throughout your performative career, throughout your creative um, career, just in terms of like interacting with other dancers, with choreographers and stuff like that, whether it is the theme and stuff like that, how has that actually worked, I guess, even in your favor or even not? Like what type of experience have you had in that on that level? Hmm, that's a good question. I think from an artistic perspective, um, the good thing is, is like you're always exploring, right? Like you're always, um, especially when you do like Caribbean or, or African descent movements, it's not so cut and dry like Eurocentric movements. So you're questioning, you're questioning your art anyway. So it's like, so it's not as like annoying as like devil's advocate, but you're so questioning, okay, why are we doing that? Right? Like why, like if you're going to do a move, what, why, what, how can I say this? Like, why did you make that choice? So even for me, if I'm going to choreograph something, why are you doing it? If I'm going to like pick a certain individual to be in a piece, why am I doing that? If I'm going to choose to be in a piece or to be a part of a group, why am I doing that? Right. So I think the why artistically is more internal than external, um, unless like I'm working with people and then you like you ask questions and stuff like that. Um, so especially if people be like, oh, can you be my piece? I'd be like, OK, what's it about? 
Okay, but why though? Okay, but why are you okay? Okay, but why? Right, like you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, because because some, because sometimes you have to too because like you mm. also don't want just to be like the pony of it all. Like right. dancing is nice, but I don't want to just like dance for dancing's sake. For sure. Right. And and for me, it's always been like if I'm going to be a part of a project. It has to resonate with me. But in order for me to understand if it resonates, I need to ask you what this project is about and yeah. why are we doing it, right? Um, so that's the thing. It's just, it's something where, again, you you seek to understand in a lot of cases and you want to make sure that when you're giving of yourself in that creative way, that you're able to connect to what the content or what the theming of that piece will ultimately be. If it's just something, where, it's not something like you're doing a paint by numbers when it comes to those when it comes to pieces like the ones that I've seen you perform. And even if it's something where you're doing like something in freestyle, there's a connection that you have to the music that you choose to, um, that actually guides what your movements will ultimately be. The authenticity that you usually bring, it you can actually tell that there is that deeper connection that you seek to, that you seek to actually grasp like whenever you're actually on stage or yeah. even if it is something where you're doing a freestyle type of vibe itself. And it makes me, enjoy, I feel like it makes me enjoy the art more. I feel like when I first moved to Toronto, um, because also I had taken like an eight year hiatus when I, when I, well, I didn't move to Toronto for dance. I moved to Toronto for something else. But when I went back into dance after the hiatus, I just wanted to dance because like, as an artist, eight years not dancing, you're like, I'm about to die. Oh my God, life is over. <laughs> um, so in the beginning, I just wanted to dance. Like, it didn't matter what it was, it didn't matter where. I just, I was like so like hungry for it, right? But then when I got over myself, I'm like, okay, cool. Like, you know, you've done it. Okay, let's move on. Um, questioning what I've, like what I'm going to do made my performances better um, made my movement better um, made me happier like dance will always make me happy but dance with a purpose um, makes me happier um, and even like you know like you say like if you if you do know me and you watch me you'll know when I'm just doing this because it's a gig and you know bills are real and um, versus like regardless I'm like really connected or invested in the thing and it could be anything it could be a performance it could be you know just like choreography teaching whatever the case may be if i'm really connected to the project or the music or the person or whatever the case may be like the way that i interpret it um will be very different and more pure than just like you know i'm doing this because like i need to eat you know because food is great so <laughs> that's the that's the, i'm gonna be serious for a second um yeah so that's the thing as long as you're you and that's something where you can't fake and it's not something that you could even attempt to do. But why would I do it though? You know my problem. You know why I can't fake the funk? Because I'm not a very good liar. But I'm not a very good liar because I have a really bad memory, um, which is really hard. To, which is really dumb to say as a dancer. But I I can't fake the funk because then I have to remember the funkness that I did. Right. Because you have to replicate it. You each have time. to replicate it, and it's hard. But at least if you're pure, I don't have to replicate it because it is what it is. You know what I mean? Like I will just be who I am. Versus now, it's like okay, I'm gonna put on, and then I have to remember. So what hat did I put? Okay, was it the right? That's it's too much work. I don't know. It's too. No, I'm too lazy. It's too much work. Um, being myself just makes sense. You know. Um, and I think being myself has made also me weed out things and people <laughs> so the people like as much as like people yes people know me because like the toronto dance community is not that big especially if you do afro there's like what <laughs> 10 of us if that um even 10 i think i'm being generous um so 
people know me, but the people who are close to me know that I cannot fake it even if I wanted to, right? So it's like, even when we've had our meetings and then like I don't speak, people are like, so yo, you're good? I'm like, you know, I was trying guys. Let's try this whole quiet thing. Let's try this whole calm thing see what's happening. Apparently it's not working. That hasn't been your personality <laughs> from the time that I've known you. You are very opinionated. You are very outspoken. And that's, that is an actual advantage. That is a level up. <laughs> so anytime that you try and it's something in which you see like in your eyes as far as like you're holding back. That you're just like, how long can I actually do this? I'm going to challenge myself not to say anything, not to pretend as if, like, pretend as if I don't have an opinion. And you break every single time. And I love it because of the fact that you always speak on what matters most to you. And especially when you're comfortable with people, you will be the one that will actually call things out when the time comes because you want for everybody else to to actually level up from that experience than any more than anything else. Yeah. So, Which is funny because I didn't speak as a child. Okay. Go deeper on that. Yeah, How, what was is, that? Because, so here's the thing. So I like I didn't like people. <laughs> and you like yeah, people now. I mean, I don't like people now, but I like them a little better now um, than I did. But as a child, I thought people were weird. <laughs> people are still weird but i thought people were weird but i they were weird and fascinating to me at the same time so i really which which i've kept but a little less i've always observed people so i didn't talk because all i did was just watch people in their natural habitat they sound like animals but i just watched people in their natural habitat and then when we left whatever setting we were in poor parents we would be in the car going home or in the home and then i'd be like okay listen and then it would be like you know like verbal um <laughs> verbal diarrhea at this point um but i think it was um and also because like because i knew that i was so opinionated and so very like stickler of the things that i saw um it's it's a touch and go some people don't take it so as a child i was like i don't have to explain myself so i'm just not gonna speak we're not doing that right i don't like you and also i was i was very quick to like um i would size people up and i always say people don't prove me people always prove me right and not wrong it's very rare um it's very rare that people will prove me wrong so when i meet people because i observe so much i kind of have like a gist of like like your vibe or your energy um and then I choose not to associate. So if I choose not to associate, I really won't talk to you. Like, even till this day. If I have to be cordial, I'll be cordial because, like, whatever. But I won't speak. Right? Um, so as a child, like, you know, eventually you start speaking. Because, like, my father's like, you know, you're going to have to, like, use your big girl voice. I'm like, why? He's like, because we're not going to be there all the time. And I was like, makes no sense. Um, so as, like, growing up, then I had to, my father said, use my big girl voice. But as a child, Unless you really, really knew me, we were close to the family. A lot of people thought I didn't speak. People used to tell my parents, like, your child doesn't speak. My father's like, mm-hmm, yeah, mm-hmm, sure. Yeah, she doesn't. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. But I used to tell even my parents, like, when they meet people, I'd be like, you know, that person is going to do this, going to do that, da, da, da. And so said so that, like, they'd end up doing whatever that I said they'd do. Or the character would, would show up with themselves. Um, because I just watch people a lot. Um, but then I had to learn to be like, you have to speak, you know, cause then, it, and that's why sometimes like you'll see like my eyes will just kind of whatever, because it's like, I've now that I've grown out of the not speaking now, my brain's like, okay, so you know that this is bothering you. You know, they have something to say, like, how long are we doing this? Right. Cause I've grown out of it. So that's why sometimes I'll just be there and you're like, you'll see my eyes just go like, cause my brain is like, okay, no, <laughs> 
I can't, I can't do this anymore. Like, I, and it, and it's so, it's so weird because even like viscerally, you'll see it. Um, because if I don't speak, you'll see it on my face. Sometimes my face speak more than I do, which is weird because I speak a lot. Um, because I like I, I internalize a lot of things. So then I'm like, okay, I have to, I have to come out because somebody else has to understand what I'm seeing, or maybe I'm just crazy. Right, which comes with the devil's advocate because sometimes I'm like, maybe I'm just crazy, but what if maybe that's what they meant, right? Because sometimes people are not dumb. People are just they just see things differently, right? And it takes someone to say something in order to really get to the truth of things. Well, that's the thing, because the the thing about humans is that we act upon our emotions, right? I don't really like not that I don't have emotions, but I don't act upon them. Um, um, so much. I'm not that emotional of a person. So then I'm able to see the other side of it without having my emotions. So sometimes like as much as it's annoying me saying that was advocate, but it's also like allowing people to get out of this like really volatile emotional state and just be like, okay, let's just see the other point of it for a second. Right. Because when you're in your emotions in whatever situation it is, be it professional, personal, artistic, you are in your emotions like you are like you're cerebral about it um you're in your feelings about it that you forget that that person may not see what you're seeing or feel what you're you're feeling you know what i mean because it's like you know the saying that says whenever something happens there's three sides to a story so there's your side my side and then the truth and it's not necessarily that you're lying or i'm lying it's just that our perceptions are different so what actually happened may be very different than how i see it or what you see it so sometimes i'm really just kind of holding up a mirror to be like all right cool a second look at from the other perspective how it would have how they would have seen it right it's just you know when racism happened last year everybody was like no no Zara, we don't want to see it. i'm like yeah but hold on a minute i'm not saying the right but hold on a second racism happened two weeks ago yes i know i've been saying that so much so now it's like it's been like 18 months now like racism happened 18 months now. yeah yeah it's true it's fairly and that's aggravating what it's like i hear people say it and i'm like yo i've started a thing guys Oh, I'm what's a frame to put on my wall? I've started a thing, guys. No, you need to put that on a shirt. <laughs> that needs you. to be your merch right there. Racism happened two weeks ago. And see how quickly it flies off the shelves. Let's backtrack just a little bit. Okay, just cool. to touch base on as far as how you were actually growing up and stuff like that. The vibe mm. that you had presented yourself in terms of like how outgoing and as far as how wide-eyed that you were around your own experiences right. can you actually recall the first time that you actually fell in love with movement first time i actually felt so not the first time that i danced but the first time i fell in love with it with movement not dance yeah just, just movement, movement? exactly moonwalker okay what was it about moonwalker that struck you michael just made it look easy like I think the thing about Moonwalker was that it just looked so effortless. Like it looked like I woke up in the morning and that was a movement, right? I think when it comes to, and it's really good that you you differentiate between movement and dance because a lot of people don't do that. Um, but we forget that the life itself is is movement, right? And I think Moonwalker made me see that life is movement, Right. Um, I don't know. Everything about that movie was just so like a breath of fresh air type of thing um, that I just kept like watching and I just kept like amazed as how subtle things were. Right. Like it wasn't no like like now they do like 46 movements in like 30 seconds. Um, but like 
but he can do something so simple as like you know the infamous like leg kick that he does but like I think now people are over exaggerating it but when I first saw it I was like you're just really kicking your leg let's take it in for a moment you're really just kicking your leg or you're really just like walking but you're walking on your tip and then the, the heel is up there was just everything that he did was so smooth like just like the swivel of the hat so it's just like that movement in itself and the smoothing of the movements and within the smoothing of the movements to like to 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 bring you in i was like yo that's nuts you know what i mean like you can talk to me during, i'm I'm surprised that that like VHS still works because I've seen it like 10 million times to the point where like my mother was like you know there's other things in life sure and then we would just go ahead um like I, you couldn't speak to me I, I don't know if I was even breathing like I would just be there and I'd be like how <laughs> you know like houseway um yeah it was that thing for me that was like the first time um that I fell in love with movement yeah Let's talk about the first time that you fell in love with dance specifically. I think I've, I've always, so like my parents are party animals. So I've always, um, I don't know, they just always had an excuse to like have food, party and dance. So like there's always people at my house, right? And then also like my dad was a radio personality. Yeah, yeah, for like a hot minute. Um, he was a radio personality, so there was always music at my house. So there was always like dancing around for the sake of dancing around. Um, but the first time I fell in love with it is when my third, no, fourth grade, my fourth grade teacher forced me to do <laughs> school assembly, okay? She decided the school assembly, her class was going to do a dance, a dance like, showcase nobody sent her i don't know why to this day like it was weird and i was like okay cool good for you but up until then like other than like if my parents had parties like i had to dance because like you know you're a kid and your parents like go dance kid but for me personally like i would only dance in my room i wouldn't do any shows like i refused to do it unless it was like like a, a party at my house so even when i would dance in my room my mom would come in i wasn't inventing an excuse what were you doing nothing i was picking up a thing from the floor like I wasn't like I I didn't have the confidence to be able to dance in front of people, um, regardless of like parties and stuff. But my fourth grade teacher, who decides to do a showcase for a school assembly for only God knows at this point, um, says you're gonna do a solo. Who? You're gonna do a solo, and I'm like, that's hilarious. She's like, no, 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 I'm good, good, serious. Not only are you gonna do a solo, but you're gonna do a lip sync. Okay, now you're even more hilarious. And she's like, you're gonna do shoot by salt and pepper. I was like, lady, I was like, I don't know what this Quebecer lady. I was like, this Quebecer lady has lost her damn mind. Um, I'm like, one, I'm not getting on stage in front of all these people. Two, I'm not dancing. I don't even know how to dance. Lies, but whatever. I'm like, I don't know how to dance. I'm out lip singing. I don't know the song. I kept like, yo, excuses in a book. And she's like, Yeah, well, you're getting graded on it. Now, the problem with you doing that is I have African parents. I have an African dad, okay, who 85 is a fail. So you telling me that you're going to fail me, child, like that's child endangerment, okay? <laughs> I would like to live. So I agreed to do the stupid showcase, not because I wanted to dance, because you will not fail me because I would like to see fifth grade, okay? So um, so I, I get up on that stage and... um. 
I lived my best 10 second life, right? It was just something about being on stage, something about moving um, and dancing and performing for people that I was like, this is, oh, this is joy in a box. Um, so that for me would be the first time that I would say that I fell in love like with dance. And it was so funny too, cause like parent teacher meeting comes and then like this, you know, white Quebecer ladies telling my mother about how, oh my gosh, your dad is so talented. And mom's like, no. Because again, up until then, the only time that they've ever seen me move is when we're having parties. But that doesn't count. Everybody, you know, every kid dances up and down if they're having a party or a barbecue or whatever the case may be. So for her to say the way that this like white Quebec lady was bigging me up, my mom was like, I don't know what child you're talking about, but maybe you're looking at the wrong report, you know? Um, so the mom's like, you dance? And I was like, that's what they say. And then I had to, you know, tell the truth. So then I was like, okay, well, then now that you know, <laughs> can we go to a hip hop class? And my mom's like, well, that's cute. You're going to go and do traditional Ganyan dance. And I was like, no, no. So we made a bet. So she's like, if you do traditional Ganyan dance for a year, you can do any style you want. The problem is she won the bet because I didn't do hip hop until like, donkey donkey years i really just stayed in traditional i went from traditional um Gangan west african to like afro-caribbean folklore like we just kind of stayed there yeah so she she's like <laughs> and i'm like yeah yeah you won the bet whatever move on um so so yeah so that's my long-winded answer when i fell in love with dance so what made you stay given that the bet was still happening and you had the aspiration i'm gonna ask you two questions now what was it about hip-hop specific dance that drew you and once you actually started training in traditional like Ghanaian dance what made you actually stay there instead of the original plan that you had for yourself well see I was never really exposed like you know how some people are like I've been dancing since I was three like I was never exposed to like competition dancing or like studio dancing um so so I didn't know like now as as a dancer I could I know that what Michael and, and Janet and Paul Abdul were doing was jazz, but I didn't have that. So for me, I thought it was hip hop. I really thought Michael was doing hip hop. So for me saying I wanted to do hip hop is because I wanted to learn how to be able to dance like um, like Michael and Paul Abdul and Janet Jackson um, and, and MC Hammer. So for me, that was like why I wanted to do hip hop so badly. Um, and then what made me stay was I wasn't born in Ghana. Right. I was, I was I was born in Libya, so I had no connection like other than my parents. Yeah, but I had no connection into my roots, for lack of better words. So what made me stay was that was my connection to understanding my Ghanaian or African heritage. Right. Because when you're doing traditional dance, it's not like doing a Eurocentric dance where it's like one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, your arm goes here. Da, da, da. No, like they're not only teaching you movement, they're teaching you history. They're teaching you story. They're teaching you culture and traditions and customs through movement and song. Right. So for me, it was so fascinating that instead of sitting down with my parents and be like, OK, cool. What's the culture in Ghana? What do we do when I got all that? through through something that I love. So now I get to do something that I love called dance, but also basically form an identity because up until then I never considered myself as a Canadian, right? But I had trouble saying that I was a Ghanaian, but I couldn't say I was Libyan because all I have was born there and the name, but I have no connection. It's like I was born there, I stayed there for five until I was 5 and I came to Canada. So I have no connection to Ghana. 
right? But for me, saying I was Canadian was real weird. Um, and also my connection to say Canadian mean you were white. And I was like, well, I'm kind of dark, right? I mean, granted, I'm a little kid, right? So I'm like, so I'm not Canadian, I'm not Ghanaian. Libyan is hard to say that I'm Libyan because I also don't speak Arabic or anything like that. So through, you know, through the traditional dancing, I was able to understand my culture and be able to sit comfortably and say, no, I'm Ghanaian. Because up until then, I was like, I'm I'm a person. <laughs> I don't know. I'm just a person, guys. <laughs> you know? So, yeah. Has there ever been a time in which you wanted to dive into, like, Libyan culture in that particular case? Or was it something where you were completely settled to say, I know as far as that I'm Ghanaian, just from this experience that I'm having here? Well, you know, and because Esquire, you know me. Nothing's ever simple with me. So I, like, I knew... It was weird because I knew I was born in Libya, but then like then I was like, oh, cool, I was born in Libya. And then I never really like thought deep about it. Right. I was like, mm, I was born in Libya. Okay, cool. Okay, okay, okay. Right. Um, also, because like the, the the story that was told to me was I was born in Libya because my father is, you know, a revolutionary. And um, Mr. Revolutionary decided it was cool to go against the government, him and these university students. Um, so he got exiled. Right. So he got kicked out of Ghana got exiled, found refuge in Libya, brought my mom, ta-da, I'm here, right? So, like, that's my story. <laughs> I'm a revolutionary baby. Um, so that's, <laughs> makes sense why my personality is the way it Another is. Another t-shirt piece. Um, Get the merch going, on. Right my now, God. <laughs> revolutionary baby, let's go. Imagine, I'm a revolutionary baby. Racism was discovered yesterday. <laughs> yeah, so, I'm, I'm gonna have, like, four shirts. Like, revolutionary baby, racism, devil's advocate. I have a question. <laughs> Yo, it's a business, guys. It's a business. Um, it's called Zara's Designs. Zara moves. Zara's Designs. We're on a roll. Um, <laughs> I can't. Um, yeah, so for me, it was like, okay, cool. I'm a revolutionary baby. And I, was, I never really thought about it after that, right? And it's funny because, which is going to lead to, I'm going to go, I'm going to trickle off a little bit, but it'll lead back to my story. Yeah. I never really felt a connection with my first name. Right. So as you know, my first name is Harriet. Right. Um, I was like, this is an old British lady. Like I was like, for me, Harriet translated to like an old British lady with cats. Like she's just old and grumpy. Like that was like the definition of Harriet. So I was always like, this doesn't fit me. But I couldn't explain why, you know, and it sounds wrong to tell your parents this doesn't fit me. Not knowing my parents were lying to me the whole time, but we will get to it. Um, so what I was 11 i went back to ghana right so this is the first time i'm going back to, to you know the motherland and true to my father so my father has a funny interesting way of explaining stuff to you which means he doesn't he just gives you stuff point blank like one plus one is two don't ask no questions yeah that's what it is so we go to ghana and um he was going through like because some of the documents because he was exiled so some of the documents um when we were coming to canada um from my understanding is we I was born in Libya. My mom and I went back to Ghana for like three or four months waiting for the papers to um, to come to Canada. And we came to Canada. So some of the documentation when they went back to Ghana left was was left in Ghana when they came because also we came here as refugee claimants, right? So and the 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 anyway, so we came as refugee claimants, whatever. So we go back to Ghana. He's going through these documents and there's this paper, and he goes, "Here's your birth certificate," and I'm like. I think you have another daughter. Because on this birth certificate, it says Zara Badua. So I'm like, I don't know who this is. Because in my head, I am Harriet Badua, right? 
So the baffle came later. So I'm like, I'm Harry Badua. So I'm just like, you must have another daughter, right? Um, and then he's like, oh, let me tell you a story. And then he tells me this story about this name. So because I was born in Libya, so this is like 1984, right? So I'm born in Libya. Libyans give you, like the Libyans give you a name, right? So Zara is the name that was given to me, which means flower, the flower rose in Arabic. So that was my name. So the first five years of my life, my name was Zara. The thing about it is when my, my mom was pregnant, my father, because my father, according to him, he's like, I knew what was going to happen in the future. So he knew that he was going to come to America. I didn't know where I was going to America. So he said that that child, me, um, we were all going to travel to America. But he wanted, you know, and you know, you're always going to have an assimilation name, right? As we call it, a Christian name to fit in. Um, so he was like, well, when this kid is born, this kid will either be Harriet or Eugene. But now I'm born in Libya. And Libya, you know, if you know Qaddafi's country, you ain't going against what Qaddafi says. So Zara is your name. But when you come, when we came as refugee claimers, when you come as refugee, you pick whatever you want to call yourself because you're a refugee. You're coming in because you're coming in from whatever. So you pick your story, you pick your life. So that's what the opportunity was. He said, oh, <laughs> we're going to change back the name. So they deleted Zara. And you also don't need a birth certificate because you're a refugee. You have, you have no papers. So that's where Harriet came to be. So now he's telling me this whole story. And then I go, you know, it's very interesting when we say name has a connection. I never really understood it till now because like I said, I never connected with Harriet. And now I was like, no wonder. It's not even my name. So anyway, so I find out I am like a Libyan Libyan. Because in my head, I'm like, if they took the time to give me a name, I am a Libyan. Yeah. So... So when I came back, I was like, I want to find out everything about Libya. I was going through like Libyan history and all I was listening to was Libyan music. I don't understand what they're saying. But like, so that was when, so it was at 12 years old is when I was like, I can't deny, I may not have no direct connection, um, but I won't deny um, that, you know, I'm Libyan by birth, you know, Genyan by nationality, but Libyan by birth. Right. And then that's why now um, I'm really, really attached to Zara. Right. Harriet's still there because, you know, that's everything on the Canadian papers. Cool. Whatever. Um, but I'm attached to Zara. And now it's just it's really special for me now because like I don't work in the nine to five world anymore. So I don't have no connection to Harriet anymore. So whenever I hear Harriet, I'm like, you're either my family or you know me from way back, way back. Right. Like so if you call I'm like, OK, cool, because with the dance, um, because now like, you know, it's Zara. So Zara has like, you know, taken a life of its own. Um, there's more of a connection to it, um, than like Harriet. Also, my personality never really fit a Harriet, to be very honest. I, mean, I thought I was I was too, too I was too hyper for Harriet. <laughs> but at the same time, again, you think about Harriet Tubman, that iconic name itself. Right, but you also have to understand that like I was raised in Quebec. Okay. okay. So like I think if I was raised in Toronto um or any other <laughs> English, any other non-Quebec um any other English um uh place, maybe I would have understood like, you know, the Harriet Tubman or whatever the case may be. But when you you go up in Quebec, Harriet Tubman like it's a it's a very it's a French province like Harriet Tubman you learn about her like briefly whatever underground railroad you learn for about a day and then you move on like right um so and then also it's like in French uh they used to make fun of me because one nobody ever said it properly right because like the two r ends up being 
and then they end up putting TTE at the end, and then they don't pronounce the H. So everybody kept saying Ahiet. So I was like, I already hate the name, and now you're butchering it. Like, ugh, right? And then also there was a song uh, called Alouette. Right. Alouette. Oh the problem gosh. with it is that, like, keep them, I'm an English person, right? So when people start singing that song, I wasn't really understanding the words. So it says, Je te plumerai, which means I'm going to pluck the bird, right? Because Alouette is a bird. Right. But in my head, I understood plucking as killing. So I I, I thought they were saying, I am going to kill you. So I tell my parents, I'm like, these French people are crazy. They've invented a song with my name to kill me. Like, I, listen, I was a very extra kid. Um, but again, you know, as far as how many other childhood songs and everything were problematic back at that time. So that's not really far from that reality. Right. And then also, it's like I was forced to go to French school because keep in mind, when we first came, I was going to English school in the beginning. And then, you know, La Loi Saint Un, um, which is basically the law that they made that if you had not immigrated into Quebec before that law came into practice, which is like 1970, blah, blah, blah. Um, if you were not in Quebec before that law came, you had to go to French school. So now it's like, I'm going to English school. Life is great. And I'm being forced to go to a French school. And my first introduction is people singing this stupid Alouette song. You know, so like it's adding on to the hatred for this two by four name, right? Um, so, so yeah. <laughs> on top of the racism that happened two weeks ago for them, right? You know, on top, you know, on top of on top of the fact that like it's Quebec. Um, but I mean, like again, to play the devil's advocate with this Quebec thing, right? And every time I say, it, people are like, yeah, whatever. But I don't. Yes, it's annoying, but I don't blame them for what they do because if you look at it from devil's advocate perspective, you have these people that their history. Their history, like not to compare it in any way, but their history is almost like Caribbean history. Bear with me for a second. Quebecers are the rejects of France. Quebec exists because anybody who were like jailed or they didn't really know what to do with them, they brought them over from France to Quebec. Right. And that's why also their language is the way that they is, because it's like it's like the slang of their way back when ancestors. Right. I know people are going to be like, I can't believe she she compared white people to Caribbeans. But just bear with me for a second. Right. So like these are the rejects of France. OK. And then now they've built their community. They've built the whatever the whatever nationality that they're claiming. Yeah. And then now you're having all these ethnics that are coming in so for them because racism is fear let's be real like you can get upset all you want but racism is fear so for them it's like they're afraid that they're going to lose this little bit of culture that they that they have and it manifests in all these things so when you have things like the bill 101 or um l'office de la langue française which is basically the language police um when you have things like that it's really them trying to keep their two by four culture, whatever the Quebecer culture or the Quebecer language is, right? Because for them, we are a threat to them losing their culture, right? This little bit of culture that they have left. So it's like, I don't excuse their behavior, but it's like, for me, I also like to look at the other perspective that it's the fear. This is, this is where the podcast was going. We knew for a fact this was going to be the case, and if we're gonna talk, if we're gonna talk people's truth, we're gonna talk people's truth. Listen, you know, like you, it's. I know that it's upsetting, you know, like and come and and growing up there, like I've seen my first share of annoyance. At the root of it, it's really just fear of extinction. Perspective and perception, it's they're both a real thing, mm-hmm. <laughs> to say the least. Perce- perception, perspective. Um, and it's something to be said in terms of how 
that actually shapes your upbringing, especially. How was that transition from you living in Quebec and realizing as far as the the vision that people within that province had compared to when you moved to Ontario, specifically Toronto, and how was that, where was that difference there for you? Or was where was that adjustment for you in terms of you being able to come into yourself? Or was that something where you were already set where you were at with regards to your identity in Quebec and it was just something that translated here? Well, I came here when I was like, like, older, older, like I was like a full grown adult. Um, so I think like my formative years was everything in Quebec, right? Um, I think that the the thing about Quebec um, that helped me, um, the devil's advocate, that helped me was how to be able to relate to people who don't look like me, don't care for me, <laughs> right? And to be able to kind of like go in, go out. Cause, because because the beauty of and I used to, the beauty of Quebec is when you talk on some talk to somebody on the phone and when you meet them right so um so being able to kind of relate to all kinds of people because I can turn it on right so I can talk to him and be like oui bonjour mais mon nom c'est uh, puis en and I can, I could but then when you meet me they're like wait what <laughs> yeah but I'm looking for Harriet uh huh. And then, and I do it on purpose too, because when I meet them, then I would like talk French prop, like, you know, people say properly, right? So like, oh, I'm looking for Herod. Why just say, c'est moi. And they're like, no, man. And then I'll be like, no, mais c'est vrai, what tu vas parler? Oh, bon. And then they're like, oh, it sounds, it sounds weird, but it's just like, like talking like slang American versus like British English, right? Um, so being able to switch it, like, you know, how black people would say code, code switching. Code switching, yeah. But like, it's even code switching within that French or within that whatever. Um, it kind of helped me to be able to navigate different spaces, right? So naturally, because, you know, I observe people and stuff like that, and because Quebec is so interesting, it helped me being able to code switch. So I can I can pretty much fit into any scenario because I've had to do it all the time, be it whether it's a language situation, be it because, you know, I'm black, or be it because, you know, I'm African, I was able to do it, right? And I was also able to kind of make people understand where things come from or annoy the dickens out of them that too that that's always great um but when i came to toronto believe it or not i hated it for the first like three years like with a deep passion because here's the thing regardless of like the language wars um and you know the 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 because the thing okay so the thing about quebec is that yes there's racism but the racism is is rooted in language right they don't they don't say oh you black person because you're a black person because it's a, it's associated with language because the moment they get over what i what i look like but if i talk like you i don't have no problem see what the difference is um so if i talk like you it's great you know good morning good evening good night life is wonderful as long as I can be able to talk like you. you somehow, which is weird, um, in Montreal specifically, not when you go to the boondocks, forget about outside of Quebec, but in Montreal specifically, if you like, if you talk like them or whatever the case may be, they forget that apparently you are black, right? Like, like for some reason, in my experience, maybe may not be the same for everybody else, but in my experience, 
I didn't really have the racism, whatever. Yes, there's people who will say foolishness, um, especially because like I was African, so I was a UNICEF child, right? Um, because you know how like here in, in, in Toronto, they'd be like, oh, World Vision, you know, in, in Quebec, they'd be like UNICEF. So I was like, so I've heard the UNICEF child, I've heard that, you know, famine or whatever the case may be. So that's whatever. But for the most part, it wasn't that prevalent, right? So for the most part, people were friendly to me because I spoke French. So people were friendly, good morning, good evening, good night, life was great, da, da, da. Then I moved to Toronto. It's great, everybody speaks English. Yay, woohoo. Nobody talks to each other in the city. And I was like, how in the bleep bleep am I surrounded by people that look like me? And especially here in Toronto, there's a lot of Ghanaian people. Because when, you know, when back in like the, the, the close to 90s, um, when that when they were really prevalent about like, you know, attacking people for the language laws and whatever the case may be. So um, I know I keep saying that and people people are probably going to be like, what she's talking about? So let me give you a brief history, people, so you can understand this language laws. Because um, otherwise they're going to be like, that's great, but I don't know what she's talking about. You know, and I could tell you to go to Google, but I'll be nice for today. So um, so what, what, what ended up happening is that the Quebec people were really serious about protecting this language they call French. Okay. And this culture they call Quebecer, which until this day I don't understand. Other than Sugar Shack, I don't know what the culture is, but it's okay. Um, <laughs> or Cabanasic. Um, yeah. So anyways, so, so what ended up happening is that they decided, okay, we are going to like really make this law this language thing a thing so they invented this law called 101 there's a lot of aspects of this law but i'm going to explain the ones that are really prevalent to your life number one if you weren't there before this law existed you had to go to french school unless you can prove psychologically that you can learn another language or one of your parents were born in, in canada okay so that's one number two all the signs had to be in french all of them when you go into, when you have a business, you greet somebody in French before you greet them in English or you greet them only in French. So if you walked into the store, it would be bonjour, hello, or only bonjour. And they would have, and they had like agents. So if I went to your business and you greeted me as hello, I can give you a fine. Like that's how serious they were. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, so I moved to, let's go back. So I moved to Toronto. There's a bunch of people that look like me, okay? And especially Ganyans, because when this law, the stupid law that we go back one one came, a bunch of Ganyans said, you know what? Deuces and came to Toronto. So half of the Toronto people who are, the Ghanaian Toronto people who are here, who came in the like 90s, early 2000s, bet your bottom dollar from Montreal. Because they were like, well, I'm doing this foolishness. You know what I mean? I moved to this city. There's a bunch of people like me. Life is great. They're rude as hell, right? Like you say good morning to somebody, they're either looking at you like you want something or like, I remember once a person told me what's so good about the morning. I'm like, yo, you woke up the hell you know um but all jokes aside like people were so rude here people were so in this like tunnel vision like go 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 situation that i wasn't used to that like i was used to montreal where we're laid back good morning how are you you know like we're gonna have a coffee where you know like life is chill because also it's like a european type of vibe you know what i mean like we're here it's like People are eating to survive, right? Like, or if they're going to a restaurant, it's a status of being in a patio, not really enjoying each other's company like in Montreal, right? Um, people talk to you because they need to talk to you, right? It's like high school all over again. So I'm in this place in this city where I thought it was going to be so exciting to be in this like big, big city and I'm in Toronto, ga, 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 ga. but it's like I have no friends because nobody wants to talk to me because they don't know me. Um, people are hella rude. The city is super expensive. <laughs> 
and it's super big and it takes me four hours to get anywhere um so i hated it i did not like toronto and the and me being so segregated what started happening is i started to retract to my childhood self so then i was so i didn't really i didn't talk unless i needed to because i was in school i didn't talk for the first two years i was like to the point where my mom was like when you when you graduate come back because they, like, they were concerned because like I've come out of my shell at this point, right? And I came here, I was like 25. So it's like, I'm grown. I'm a big woman now, right? Um, but the city was just so like weird that I just, I didn't, yeah, I didn't have no friends for the first three years. Didn't talk to people um, other than like, you know, and even at church, it's like, okay, you talk to them while you're at church and then that was it. Um, there wasn't anybody else. So what changed? Like after those three years, like what what actually changed things for you that you actually were able to be Zara in Toronto? Dance, yeah, um, yeah, dance. I don't. I honestly speaking, if it was a question where I you know stayed in my hiatus and and never went back to, and when I say went back to dance, like yes, it was a height. I was still like dancing but i was just dancing like in my room but not dancing in the concept of like whatever so let's let's go into that real quick because yeah. you talked about the hiatus from before and i yeah. immediately to actually bring that up mm -hmm. what was the deal you said it was like an eight-year hiatus that you took mm -hmm. if you're comfortable talking about it what prompted this eight-year hiatus from dance okay so i won't get into like detail of it um but it was just like a it was a medical thing it was a medical thing that I had to. So it wasn't like I decided that like, we're just gonna press pause. Um, medically, I couldn't. Um, so yeah, so medically I couldn't um, dance for the first like couple of years. And then afterwards, it's like, then I moved, then I moved here. Um, so it wasn't like eight years like in Montreal, and then I moved here. It was like eight years in total between Montreal and, and me moving here. So it was like f about f maybe three and a half years no my math is horrible five and a half years um in 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 montreal and then about like three years ish uh here um that i took the hiatus uh, and stuff medically and um yeah and then like eight years after i was like i think i'm gonna i'm gonna try and see what happens and if it doesn't work then yeah and um, yeah, and then I just like started taking classes, and I guess through classes, that's how you start to to meet people because people are a little bit more, which I realize, um, people are a little bit more friendly in dance spaces um, than they are in like normal life. Weird. Um, I say it's weird because it's the same dancers that in normal life they're not friendly, but in, in that's topic socialization. For, all for topic you. for another day. Socialization. Yeah. Yeah. So that's yeah. So that's how I got to um, that's how I got to like really meet people and kind of come out of my show. I mean, it still took a while because it's like, yes, now I'm in this dance spaces, but I'm still going to like watch you for a minute <laughs> um, and stuff. It's like like even like AC, like AC, I knew her for a while, but it was like I'd come to I'd come to her class and come out. I'd come to her class and I'd come out. Even recently, I remember I think I had posted a picture of some like workshop she did way back when, and even she was like she called me and she's like, "Yo, I just realized you've been there from time." I said, "Yeah," it's just because the thing is you wouldn't have noticed me. Literally, I would come to class. I'd most likely probably be in like the middle row or the last row. We would do a little one hour, that an hour if it was a longer workshop, and I would leave. So I didn't be like, "Hi, my name is." You know, and, and then I was, it was still Harriet, right? So it's like, oh, hi, my name is Harriet. Mm -mm. Unless like people like talk to me or eventually you see the same faces, whatever. 
I would come in, come out. So I was very easy and I wasn't talking too. So like now, like I'm pretty loud, so you can't miss me. But, um, but before I was very, it's very easy to like not notice me. Um, cause I was so subtle about everything and I was trying to also learn the players and stuff like that. So what prompted you in terms of like getting back into it from your hiatus and being able to actually dance to be able to say, okay, this is going to be a goal for me that I want to be more than just the the person in the background that wants to learn how to dance and to actually be a dancer in the professional sense. It was a person, not me. Because I, to be very honest, never wanted to teach. Everything that I'm doing now, didn't want to do it. Had no interest. Um, because the more that you watch people, the more you start to realize things. And I started to realize that Toronto, so because Toronto culture, like I said before, was so, you know, segregative and, and, and harsh and whatever the case may be, it also seeps into the dance industry, right? So because I was seeing the segregation or whatever the case may be, I was like, I want none of this, right? And then also I understood that if I would say I want to start teaching or I'm going to start to do projects, these people are going to shut me down, one, nobody knows this person, right? We just saw her in classes here and there. Nobody knows my history. I don't know anybody here, right? Um, and and because everybody, it, it at the time when I was looking, it seemed that everybody was kind of like friendly but not, like everybody's competing with each other. So I was like, no, no. I come from a world where it was like happy-go-lucky. It didn't matter whether you did hip-hop, tap, you know, traditional Afro, whatever. Everybody was like, yay, we are family, you know? Uh, point your sisters let's go so I was like we're not mm, no we're not doing like, even people like from Montreal they're like oh but you should da, 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 da. I was like I shouldn't you guys don't know we're not doing it so I had no intentions to be honest you know what I mean but it's like you know when it's your calling it's your calling so what ended up happening was um AC was doing a video with like all her like old students because at the time she said she was going to quit teaching i don't know why she's going to do that but whatever sorry for another time you can ask her when she gets here um she said that she was going to quit teaching whatever i think because that time she was also going to be like traveling and touring a little bit more so she's going to quit teaching so she wanted to do a video with all her old students so at that video um i met a girl um carolyn van and um I, once the video was done i was like oh this is such a great experience because it was the first also this was the first time that like i experienced being in a, in a in a room or in a setting with people and everybody was just so nice and i was like oh you do exist okay so anyway so then when when the video was done um when the shooting of the video was done i was like oh this is such a great experience like i'm so sad because i'm not gonna you know experience this again because by then like i've been taking classes for like about three and a half years right so carolyn van says oh well i'm a part of this program um this like dance hall and soca program so why don't you like join right so i said okay cool fine whatever so the program that i ended up joining was unruly gal program by can ward and um and jen nova at the time so so anyway so i started taking the program with can and and can like took an interest in me, I guess, um, and stuff. So Kian wanted to quit teaching. Well, no, no. At first, before she quit teaching, she um, couldn't teach. There was like a week or so that she couldn't teach whatever. And Kian's like, would you stop my class? Which was very weird to me because up until then, 
all I did was the program. You know, we came once or twice a week. We, you know, we learned things and whatever the case may be. And then we went home. So when she asked me to teach, I was like, there must be nobody left on this earth. Like, I didn't tell her that, but in my head, I'm like, there must be nobody left on this earth that this person is going to ask me. Because also, I didn't talk about my history. All The only, the only thing that people knew is that, you know, again, it's still, we're still Harriet at this point. It's Harriet from Montreal, right? That's it. That's all the people knew. So for her to be like, come and teach, I was like, okay, either there's nobody left, she's bored, or really don't care for the studio, right? Um, because, all, and then also keep in mind, it's like, when you, just like anything else, when you don't do something for so long, um, you tend to start believing that you can't do it, right? Um, and then also because I was coming out of this like medical leave, your body changes, right? So I'm coming out of medical leave, you're growing as a woman, whatever the case may be. So your body changes. So I didn't believe that I had the capability um, of doing it. Even me going back to dance was just to kind of prove to myself that I have the capability of dancing. But at that time I thought, yeah, dance is cool. Teaching is another beast. You know what I mean? Like I don't believe, like, and to each his own, but I don't believe that because you can dance, you can teach. That's not true. It's a different, it's a different ability to teach, to dance, to choreograph, um, to direct. These are all different skills, right? You have great dancers, horrible teachers, or you have great teachers, Horrible choreographers, right? Because everything is an extra skill. Some people can do jack of all portraits and some people don't. It doesn't make you lesser than. It's just whatever gift that you were given, right? Um, so then I was like, oh, shoot. Okay, um, damn. But I respected her so much that I felt so bad to say no. But in my head, I'm like, oh, crap. All right, let me do it. Okay. And then I was so stressed. I'm like, yo, I cannot embarrass this woman, you know? And also, like, I also revered Can so much, and I put her on a pedestal so much that I was so nervous, you know? Um, anyway, so I taught. Apparently, it went okay. Apparently, it went great, so they say. And, um, yeah, so that was kind of, like, my first um, stepping out. Like, you know, step out, you know? Yeah. <laughs> gonna be a whole soundtrack the soundtrack of my podcast um yeah so that was my first like stepping out and being like you know what i think you should maybe get out of your head i think you i think i think this is a thing this might not even this is a thing this might um be a thing so, so that's how i started so when was the time when was the time that you recalled that this is officially a thing from that moment up until like that point, like what was what was that moment for you to say, okay, so this is legit now? You see how they say everything happens for a reason? So um, fast forward, fast forward, fast forward. I, um, I'm in air hostess school. <laughs> I'm studying to be a flight attendant. It's a whole story. Anyhow, the thing about the flight attendant, just like anything else, um, you know, you do the program and then you have a series of tests, but you're only allowed to fail like once. And if you fail again, they kick you out of the whole program. You have to do the whole thing again. Okay, cool. So sad. Blah, blah. I got kicked out. Yeah, yeah. The reason why I say everything happens for a reason is because the day that I got kicked out, so I failed the exam, so they kick you out right away. Can't call me that same day. So it's like, I'm getting kicked out. I'm getting walked out of the building. I got on the bus. I get a phone call. Okay. Kian goes, I'm quitting teaching. I'm quitting teaching and I referred you to teach. So I want to know, no, I want to refer you as teaching. So I want to know, would you accept it if they're actually going to take you? But she's saying, chances are they're going to take you because they really respect my decision. So it's yours. So if you want to teach um, a dance hall class and a soco class, it's yours. You just have to make the decision. 
And in my head, I'm like, it was such a coincidence that literally, like it wasn't like she called me a week later. It was literally like, think of like walking from where we are right now to the bus stop. That's like a five minute walk. Because it was so instantaneous, I was like, this has to be a sign. This is not, like I don't believe in coincidences. You know what I mean? So when I got it um, and I started teaching, um, the first class was horrible, so we were not talk about it. But the second class, and then I was like, okay, no, this is this is this is serious. Like this is a thing. This is something that, you know, um, I believe that I could do. And then that's when, like, you know, the wheel started turning, and and where everything started. <laughs> now, at the same time, you were still holding down those nine to five jobs while you were teaching as well, because again, you like eating, you like being able to actually pay bills and keep light inside the place. Well, I was a counselor. Right. So I was a counselor for young offenders. So even when I wanted to like be a flight attendant, I was still doing I was doing the program, which was full time, like the 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 training for uh flight attendant and I was I was doing full time overnight as a counselor for young offenders. So I was just crazy. Um so when the flight attendant whatever didn't work out, I just went back to being a counselor because that's why I moved to Toronto in the first place was to do criminal justice. Um so so I was doing, you know, I was well I was in my nine to five. I was a counselor for young offenders and I was just like teaching on the side. Which leads me to this question now, because now you're officially free. What prompted you to make that choice to say, now this creative aspect of me in terms of dance, in terms of choreography, in terms of performance, this is going to be my everything. What made you make that particular decision? Okay, I'm gonna try and give a short answer because I feel like I've been giving these long-winded, like Shakespeare answer this whole time. There's a reason why we have an edit button. I was like, (laughs) he asked one, she he has one question, and this girl goes into like a romance novel. Listen, Uh, if we need to make this a (laughs) two-parter, this is my podcast, eh? Let's just get that out of the way. Let's check Doc's tail out. She's a comedian. (laughs) She just likes the sound of her own voice. Um, Yeah, they're gonna be upset in season two. Oh, whoa. Okay, so COVID was the reason. Yeah. It's, you know, it's, it's very interesting because like people think that I've been doing dance full-time this whole time. Guys, it's been 2020. Okay? When racism happened, that's when dance became full-time. Okay? It was racism, COVID, and dance. That's what happened, guys. That's what happened. Um, no, because... <laughs> because the thing is, it's like up until then, I was like, I was teaching. And then what ended up happening with this whole teaching situation is that for whatever reason... Um, I bring my whole self everywhere, okay? It doesn't leave me. There's no off. I tell people I don't have an off button, guys. I'm sorry. Sorry, not sorry. And because I bring my whole self everywhere, what ended up happening is that a lot of people, um, ethnics, right? Um, so a lot of, you know, whatever ethnics, you know, Indian, South Asian, you know, African, Caribbean, whatever, started to come up to me and be like, oh, you know, you make me feel so good about myself and da 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 And I was like, guys, all I did was five, six, seven, eight, right? Um, and then the more that ended up happening, what I ended up doing was starting to do these like random projects. So I just called these random people who would take, who, who I knew because they would take classes with me or we've done programs together or stuff like that or classes together and be like, yo, I have an idea and I want to do a video. Do you want to do it? And people were saying yes. And I was like, why? Um, I was like, yo, I'm telling you, my first couple of videos, I was like, I don't know why anybody said yes to this. Um, so anyways, so 
so I started doing these like little, you know, little videos, little projects here and there and, and whatever the case may be. And then people would be like, do you want to be in my project? And I was like, why? <laughs> um, and I say why, because it was like, to me, I haven't changed. It's just now I'm in your face about it, right? Because it's now, now I'm teaching, right? So now I'm teaching. So now there's this lovely thing called Instagram and people can get to see that you're teaching. And then I also started to be associated with certain people, right? Because at that time, then it's like I met, I met Coco, right? So then I started like dancing with Coco here and there. And then I met AC. So like, I would take more things. Um, I wasn't, I wasn't in Black Stars at that, at that point, but I was just like go to their, to their workshops more often. So now people actually started talking to me. I couldn't hide anymore. Shucks. Um, so then, so people started to get to know like my face and stuff. Um, my name was a little interesting because some people didn't really know what to call me because then the transition to Zara end up coming, um, which I'll explain in a minute why the transition is because it's not for the reasons you think it is. Um, anyways, so the more whatever that my face started to started to be there, the more I started to do all these projects and stuff like that. So I was I was busy doing these projects, but for me it was just. One, I, because there were so many ethnic ladies that were coming to me and saying how, oh, you know, like, I finally feel seen or whatever the case would be. And if, when they were part of my projects, they were like, oh, you know, nobody would ever give me a chance on, like, until you came. And I was like, y'all from Toronto. The hell? <laughs> right? Um, you know, or like, you made me feel good being a black woman. And I was like, because because it was never my intention. Like, I don't walk with a mantle and be like, black and proud. No, I don't time. Right? Like, I just I just walk with myself. If if that resonates with people, it's always interesting to me because people really think that I set out to do these things. I never set out to, to help black women feel comfortable about themselves. It kind of just happened. Right? Um... The only thing that I really set out to do was that my project was going to be black women. But that was only because people kept saying, I feel seen when I come to your classes, right? Um, and then also I was seeing that in Toronto, as, as, as much as there's so much of us, a lot of the things that I was seeing wasn't us. Right. Because Toronto is a very commercial, it's a very commercial industry. So a lot of people who are doing these contemporaries and da 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 are not us. Right. So I just wanted to do stuff with people who look like me. I wasn't trying to make a statement like people really think that Zara moves is a statement. I was like, no, guys, y'all have made it a statement. Right. Like people have, have made it in their heads that Zara moves is the statement about black girl magic. Now I've accepted it, so I put it in the bio. But at first, that was not my intention. My intention was just to dance. I had ideas in my head. I wanted to do them with people who look like me. The end. Like, I wasn't really... I'm not that a genius, guys. It's not really that serious. Um, it really isn't. So, anyway, so I'm doing all these projects. Da, da, da. I am still full-grown counselor. Like, I am, you know, doing that in whatever the case may be. And then COVID happened. And then when COVID happened, you know what happened? We got shut down. I should not say that excited. But, um, but, but again, everything happens for a reason because, like, so we got shut down. So now I'm like, we're in the middle of COVID, guys. I have no job. Because the thing is, it's like, when COVID started, I still had a job, so life was great. Well, life was great in the sense that, like, the art world shut down. So for me, it didn't really affect me that much because I still had a job. I still kept that job. But, like, COVID started, what, May? We're in October, and we're being told, pieces. I'm like, but the pandemic's not over, guys. <laughs> um, You know? So anyways, but... 
but co- but so I, so I, so I basically I lost a job and then and then um, Coco told me about an opportunity with dance immersion. So then I started with dance immersion and then racism happened, right? So then, um, so COVID happened, racism happened, or racism happened first before, before dance immersion. So when racism happened, people remembered that I was black. So anyway, so I started to, you know, get opportunities because racism is a thing. Um, and then I, and then I ended up uh, getting the job as administrative assistant for dance immersion. And then all of a sudden dance is full time. So, you know, as much as COVID was annoying, COVID and racism got me to, to make my passion a full-time job. So it was a blessing in disguise, to be very honest. It sounds so weird. I sound like a horrible person saying COVID and racism helped my passion break free. Horrible. But that was the reality for a lot of people. <laughs> mm-hmm. Because, once again, it forced everybody to stay inside their homes and just sit their tails down. So either you're going to stay and be stagnant. Or you did like a lot of us did and found a way to turn what our true passions were into something that could be profitable, mm-hmm. something that could be marketable, mm-hmm. something that could be impactful within community. Yeah. That's that is the rub. That and very interestingly, once again, when it comes to African Caribbean and black people, we have this tendency to overcome despite what tragedies may be in front of us we shall overcome <laughs> that's just the thing i was singing in english for the trills at this point um yeah but i think i think you know like you said we had to we had to reimagine um we had to reimagine things right because it's like gone are the days where i can just like show up somewhere right everything everything was was um was was monitored everything was was um locked down 46 times um so so you had to reimagine and i think you know other the good thing about um covid and you know i need to stop saying that but whatever but the good thing about um what we went through in 2020 or as, as i'd like to say life going on pause in 2020 was it forced me to understand what i've been doing Right. Because remember, up until then, I was just doing stuff. Right. Um, and as much as like I'm 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 not. It's a very because I've thought about this because I've had nothing else to do but think for the past 18 months. Um, and it's not that I was doing things willy nilly before, but I think I was just so hungry to just do stuff before that. I don't think that I I had intention, but I didn't think I had like deep intention of what I was doing. I was just doing stuff. It was like an idea came boom. Like I was just like just doing stuff for doing stuff. But um, but 2020 kind of helped me really hone in as to who I was as an artist um, and what is it that I wanted to say, right? Because I've always been a person being like, okay, yes, we're not just doing these movements for doing these movements. But I feel like now, like if you come to my classes now versus before, like. You're coming even to a history lesson. You know, you know what I mean? Like, because I, I was very, really um, into the identity of this movement that we're doing, right? And I've also understood what is it that who I am as an artist, right? And as a black person doing what they call a cultural, right? Um, a cultural dance form. 
So I think, um, you know, you, you got to be thankful for 2020. You know, it's curses and blessings, but you got to be thankful for its blessings because it's really kind of centered me into what is it, the who I am. What exactly is this thing called Zara Moves that people keep saying? Um, and what is it that I want to do? What what message do do I want to say? So, yeah, to answer your question, it was, uh, you know, COVID and racism. Yes, we also see us. We also So now <laughs> I'm going to point the finger at you oh, and ask the questions. Uh, I'm scared. Who is Zara and what is Zara Moves? Wow. Based on the conviction that you gave in that response right here, you you set yourself up for that. If you can't. And the you, podcast is over. <laughs> no, no, it is not over. It is only over when I say it's over. It's over. I gotta go, guys. No, podcast. don't even I'm start done. this. I gotta go. Look, it's past, it's past my bedtime. Nice try. It's past my bedtime. Nice try. Yeah, yeah, go to bed at 8 We are not doing this. <laughs> Zara is a very interesting individual. <laughs> And okay, so I say this because number one, as you could probably tell in this podcast, I do not take myself very seriously. And I and, and I don't do this thinking that everything is jokey haha. Um, it's just I feel like, yo, I woke up today. Right? Like it's the evening. I'm still here. So for me, it's like I I don't take things seriously in the sense that I appreciate everything that I'm that I'm that I'm given that I can do or that I lose. Right. Like sometimes we take loss as this horrible thing. Sometimes you know, it's, it has to go to lead you to where you need to go. You know what I mean? Like if I had not lost that job, I would not be doing like great things right now. Like I love my job at Dance Immersion. Like I, I think I told Vivian, I'm like, you would literally have to kick me out of this organization. I will be here forever. You know what I mean? Like, um, so, yeah, so I don't I don't take myself very um, seriously. But in saying that, I'm also a person with conviction. So for me, devil's advocate, um, like, like there has to be a point, a reason, um, a sense of something why we do the things that we do. You know what I mean? So I'm always like searching for the reason um, because there's always a why, right? And there was always something that we can do more. Like I am most, the most annoying person because I will always say and. Like I don't believe that things will just like boom stop because when I stop, that means I've transitioned out of this earth. There's no stopping, right? There's there's always something more that we can do, and not only in saying there's something more that we can do, I am very giving, right? Giving in the sense that I I feel that those that that who are like dear to me, I give a lot. I give a lot of myself, right? Be it like a listening ear, laughter, food, whatever, like whatever it is, like. I feel like if if you find people like you find your tribe, I like Zara gives a lot um, of 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 my of myself, um, and you know, and then like the, the the comedic relief of everybody this way, um, yeah, and um, yeah, and then it's just like she she is talking to myself in the third person. She is um, somebody who is so in love. Like I'm so in love with my culture. Like I love being Kenyan. I love being African. I love being black. I think it's the great thing in the world. And if I could come back again, I would be black again. And I would be a woman again. Like I just, I just, I've come so much into my own and accepted myself as a, a, a black woman, as an African woman, that like, there's nothing else that I wouldn't do, you know, like nothing else that I would be. Like I wouldn't even want to be a black man. No offense to you guys, but I just, I'm just so in love with like, who I am now 
Um, and it's not in a conceited way. It's just, it just, it has taken me a long time to accept who I was. Like I've always known who I was, but there's knowing who you are and accepting who you are. Right. So I'm at a point now where like I've accepted faults and all. Right. I've accepted who I am and um, and open enough to be able to give to people, but smart enough to know not when to give to people. Because before I'd be like, here, you get a piece of me. Everybody gets a piece of me. Now I'm like, mm, chillax. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah. So that's yeah, that's pretty much the gist of, you know, who she is. She's just like she's a happy go lucky person in love with being black and her culture and people. People who she cares about. Let's let's be real, because sometimes, because I'm also, I'm, but I'm also, um, in saying that, I'm also very black and white, black and white in the sense there's no middle to me, so it's either all or nothing, right? Um, so it's either like you know I'm I'm giving and we're cool, or we're not. But I'm not like we're not. And then I start cussing because I also don't cuss, but it's just that I just won't engage, right? I don't I don't engage. I don't get upset. Like people to get me upset, that's a gift, and that's also very scary. Right. Um, I just don't engage because I don't I don't have time for negativity. Like the only negativity I have time for is just me doing it to myself. You know, um, I can be negative with myself, but I'm not going to encourage you to be negative. Like I will not I will not do that. But I'm not lying to myself to be like everything is rainbows and trees and life is great. No, but I'm also not going to be like, oh, my gosh, today's so horrible. Oh, my gosh, today's so cold. Yeah, but you woke up like at some point in time. Yes, things are whatever. But like, when do we start seeing the other side of it right like the 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 bright side of it right yes da, 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 da. but there's also that mm-hmm. yes that okay but we're gonna do about it like we can complain till the cows come home what are you gonna do about it right so um yeah then i like to push people beyond you know <laughs> in every aspect i like to i like to push people why not push each other no man is an island right so why not push each other and i feel like everybody has been given a gift that together can make like bada bing bada boom great stuff like stagnancy left in 2019 when life went on pause and then now we're sort of playing like slow more play why are we still stagnant because for 18 months we literally were on pause probably stop at this point right so now that we're slowly getting back into normal why are we still stagnant there's always something to do either you're working on yourself or you're working on something but there's something to do you also came to understand what Zara Moves was supposed to be about. Yes. You talked about as far as how it had influenced the people that were learning from you. But what is your interpretation now of what Zara Moves represents? So Zara Moves, in a nutshell, is an educational and performance brand. Um, that's like my big sentence. Um, so educational in the terms of like, I want people to understand the complexities of African diasporic dance. Like there's so much complexities to this dance and movement that we call Afro. And I put that in parentheses because even the term Afro bothers me sometimes. Um, uh, yeah, so just educate people in terms of that. Um, so not only like teaching them about the movement, but the culture behind the movement so that's why in terms it's an educational brand so a lot of the times and also because of you know things that happened in 2020 i spend more time talking about culture and movement than i do actually like kicking up a leg right um which is great with my old bones but um yeah so 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 that's the educational part of it and then the performance obviously um it's performance but i also um now 
what I want to do um, is more start to like tell like stories through movement um, and then, you know, show really, you know, as what people used to give me before now, I've kind of taken it, like show the beauty behind um, black and brown girl magic, um, especially in Toronto, where unfortunately there isn't that much um, of like only um, black women led groups. Um, and, 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 but not only like, not only women performing, but women performing outside of this sexiness, right? Cause it's like, yeah, cool. Okay, cool. Yeah. We're sexy. We're sexy by nature because we're women. Okay, great. Can we go beyond that? Like, do I have to shake my behind every two seconds? It's not necessary. And even if I do, I'm not shaking my behind to entice you. There's a reason why I'm shaking my behind. So I really, when I, when I say black girl and brown girl magic, I'm not saying that for like the tag word that everybody says, because it's like, you know, there's a lot of tags now. Um, it's really to show that like women can really dance always, right? And I say always because I, I hate when people like, oh, I'm going to dance like a dude. That's really foolish to me. You're just dancing right or i'm gonna no you're just dancing because as as a as a human there's complexities to you there's levels to you especially as a woman there's levels to you right we all have soft hard whatever moments that you have so i want to show those moments that are just life because art imitates life yeah so it's just showing those life woman moments through movement what do you think that young harriet or young Zara would feel seeing where you are now? I think young Harry would be in shock. I think young Harry would be in shock because although I grew into loving um, movement and, and dance, I wanted to be a criminal psychologist, guys. Okay? That was the game plan. Okay? This dance thing was only for fun. So I think young Harry would be like, what? Um, why do you talk so much? Uh, so yeah, so I think I think I think young Harriet would be really shocked um, as to why we're not a criminal psychologist and we are doing five, six, seven, eight all the time. Um, I think young Zara would be would be ecstatic, but would also say. You can find out more about Zara Badua and the Zara Moves Dance Collective at www.zaramoves.com. That's www.zaramoves.com. Do You See Us has been produced, mixed, and edited by me, Esquire Johnson. Theme music and original music in this episode provided by Daniel D. Styles Page. Episodes can be found on Spotify, Google Podcasts, SoundCloud, and wherever you find your favorite podcast. For more information on this and other episodes, email us at seeuspod at gmail.com and check us out on Instagram at seeuspod. This has been an Esquire Media Production.